everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinescope. I am once again joined by Eric Skoll to continue talking about the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy, uh, which is a revisit for this podcast, but it is Eric's first time watching through. And so I, I already sense that there's maybe a little bit of uh, <laughs> trepidation maybe going into the second, <laughs> the second installment. And so I'm excited to sort of dissect Eric's opinions, but to start you off sense- with... You sense? <laughs> I Could sense. it be my angry texts? <laughs> Could it be the several very angry texts that I sent you? And also the admission that at one point during this film, I turned it off. Yes, you you, you turned it off. You said, yeah, I, I stopped at this part and I'll finish it later. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you blame me, though? Can you blame me? Not necessarily, but I am curious to get like your thoughts about it and then maybe maybe talk you out of the hole a little bit. So we'll, we'll see. I, yeah, I... I let me let me warn you in advance, Chad. I am inconsolable. <laughs> well, that that's okay because the movie is supposed to make you feel things, but the, yeah, it's, it's well, whether you see the greater purpose behind it, and then you get to see how it concludes in the next movie. So, anyways, we'll, we'll stop beating around the bush in just a second, everybody. All um, right, all right, all right. <laughs> so, Eric, first off, how's it going? <laughs> good it's good to be back <laughs> good i'm glad so i said we weren't going to mention this but i'm just going to throw it out there we recorded an episode over the first film last week and that audio is all gone so we don't know what we're going to do to recover that episode but we will and it'll be fine it'll be okay everybody but for now we're just yep. going to talk about this movie as if that didn't happen i will say the only thing the only thing i'll add to what you just said is that I genuinely liked the first How to Train Your Dragon film. I hadn't seen it until Chad forced me to uh, <laughs> at, at gunpoint, more or less. G- gently forced. Yeah, yeah. Gent- <laughs> it, was a, it was a tiny, it was, a, it was Death by a Thousand Cuts you've heard of. This was uh, a thousand little nudges um, in the right direction. I, I genuinely enjoyed the first How to Train Your Dragon, so now I, I am now a dragon knight, dragonair. What would you say? <laughs> One of those is a Pokemon. What's a devoted follower of this? Both of those are Pokemon. On, actually <laughs> oh, oh really yeah. <laughs> that's right doesn't want to evolve into the okay okay but i'm a dragon follower now i'm into the series this is great i'm excited and it, it was actually due to the excitement that i had really the elation that i had watching the first film that drove me into the second one and i know the goal is to also talk about the third one which would be a first for cinescope which is cool i'm mm-hmm. super excited and honored but yeah, so I had like really all the energy going into How to Train Your Dragon Two, and the <laughs> events of the plot kind of sucked it all out of me, and now I'm a empty husk of what I used to be, and now I don't know. I, I'm 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 a little concerned here. <laughs> okay, well we'll start dropping spoilers in just a moment, but I have one uh, one more thing to say. I hinted at this in the episode that no longer exists, but I finally received a couple of things that I had ordered recently that are How to Train Your Dragon related. The first is the scorebook for the entire film soundtrack. I received it in wow. the mail. I listened to it while while reading the the book at the same time and cried many times and it was amazing. Oh, and that's uh, really special. It, it it is really special and I've actually started transcribing the French horn part, which is my main instrument, into a software to- so that oh, I can start uh, like play along with it. That 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 is the goal. Eventually I'm just going to be sitting in my living room every night playing my French horn along with How to Train Your Dragon. So uh, that is fun. simultaneously the most beautiful thing I've ever heard, and also just a tiny little bit sad. But I, 
I uh, want you to know, buddy, that I have nothing but the most respect for you. Well, thank you. Well, here's the thing. It, it's got all the instruments in it. So theoretically, I could eventually add more people to my living room, How to Train Your Dragon Party. Oh, my God. That's not depressing at all. You yeah, can have your own 40-piece, yeah. you know, <laughs> orchestra. Yeah, eventually. Uh, eventually. We'll see. Uh, but the other thing COVID. was, today, actually, I received the deluxe edition of the soundtrack in the mail. And I have not had the time to listen to that because I got home from work and watched the movie that we're about to talk about. But I'm really excited to listen to that because I don't know exactly what's different about it compared to the other version of the soundtrack that I've had for the last decade. So uh, new music from one of my favorite movies is a great thing. And that's fantastic. I haven't quite given a listen yet, just yet, to the deluxe edition of Casper. We've listened to you. You were mm-hmm. the one who told me about that, right? Yeah, yeah, I do have that. That was a that's a good one too. Yeah, and and there's like extra or extended tracks to that, and I haven't. I just actually rewatched the film, but I haven't yet kind of peeked at that. But all of these like extended editions and lost tracks and extended tracks, very exciting stuff. Um, especially if you're a fan of the original movie. Yeah, Solo is actually getting an extended edition soon too, and then Tron Legacy yeah. is getting an extended edition. So. Yes, everything's amazing. Um, (laughs) But let's go ahead and jump in. And you know what? Let's 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 jump into the controversy straight away. Okay. So if you have not seen How to Train Your Dragon to everybody, spoiler bell has been rung. Biggest spoiler of the film is about to be dropped. And here we go. Stoic dies. (laughs) And Eric is up in his feelings about it. I'm pissed about this. You've you've <laughs> so you you've talked you've talked about this movie before. Yes. On Cinescope. Do you know the episode number offhand? Um it was around the fifties. If while you talk, I'll look it up. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I would be interested in how quickly the discussion on that episode le- led to this. But for me, it's it's a real crux of, you know, any analysis on this film. There are a lot of things that this movie does right, that the first movie did right, and this also does right. There's a lot of, like, great moments. Uh, as far as a se- being a sequel goes, I feel like it really does a lot to improve and raise stakes and raise, like, really make it a lot more fun. It, it's 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 a jovial-type film with the, all the dragon riding and the sport. They invented Quidditch! I'm so yeah. thrilled that the, I'm so thrilled that the people of Burke have Quidditch now, but on dragons with sheep instead of balls. I'm really thrilled and and charmed, honestly, by a lot of this film. But it really comes down to this whole let's introduce the mom, which which should have been, I think, the the big plot thing is introduce the mom. But instead, I'm hung up on they introduce the mom, but they kill the dad. So so you're giving Hiccup his mother back, which is this is something that he struggled with in the first film is his identity. He never really related to his dad. We finally find out that he does you know, take after his mom in ways none of us could have expected, which is amazing. But then they kill his dad off. It's almost as if saying okay stoic is dead weight now like there's there's no reason to keep him around because hiccup has found the parent that that matters the hiccup has found the parent that he takes after so there's no need for stoic anymore we're just gonna write him off we're just gonna kill him see i don't agree necessarily i i understand that viewpoint but for me and this is not necessarily even coming from the perspective of somebody who has seen all three of them, but this was these were my feelings back when we first talked about How to Train Your Dragon 2, which was back in episode 71. And my thought is, this 
this story is a continuation of Hiccup's search for his identity. Yes, the first mm-hmm. film was about that, but it was a, a sort of smaller microcosm of that search for his identity. It was about finding a place within the tribe. And so he has found a place within the society of Burke and has made a name for himself and is accepted as the person he is. But now in this movie, he's trying to decide who that person he is is. Is he going to take after his dad who suddenly wants him to take up the role of chief and start training for that? Is it after his mom, who he's never known, she left or died, presumably when he was an infant. And so Hiccup is left trying to figure out who exactly he is going to be now that he has made this name for himself. And so Stoic's death forces him to confront that part of him that was like his dad. Because you're right, his mom was introduced to show how much like his mom he actually is. But then it circles back to to his relationship with Stoic and how similar to his dad he really is. We saw that a little bit in the first film, but in this one, we see how sacrificial Stoic is. Not, and I'm not even just talking about his death, just sacrificial in, in tending to the needs of his people, in... Yeah. in throwing himself in dangerous situations to protect Valka after not having been around her in 20 years. His first instinct is protection and love. And when he senses that Hiccup is in danger, after one, Hiccup ignored the advice given to him by his dad and went and confronted Drago himself, he he rushes across the battlefield and does make the ultimate sacrifice in sacrificing his life for his son. And then Hiccup is forced to see I am the person who has to step up and fill my father's shoes now. I have to set aside those selfish parts of me that want to explore and want to just be free on my dragon like my dad did. So does does that sort of come full circle a little bit? It it does it does help me get to the bottom of what I dislike about this plot occurrence, which is that it, the choice is really taken away from Hiccup. Hiccup doesn't have a choice to be chief anymore once his dad is killed. He just is the chief. It's to Hiccup's credit that the townsfolk, when Drago tells them that, you know, Stoic has died, they all kind of <laughs> are able to cheer for Hiccup and they're they're thrilled that he's back and when he comes and saves them. But the choice was not Hiccup's. If Stoic had just been allowed to stay on through the end of this film or longer, I think the impact would have been better for, like, Hiccup would have actually had a choice in the matter. Instead, and, you know, I really don't know how Vikings work in their structure, but Hiccup doesn't really seem to really have a choice to deny the chieftainess, uh, chief, chiefhood, after this. Okay, what what if this had happened? What if, instead of immediately being killed, Stoic had been maybe mortally injured and lived to the end of the film, lived to see Hiccup's victory over Drago? And then as sort of final parting words, they had that that conflict over whether Hiccup is ready to be chief or not. And he affirms that Hiccup has everything it takes to be chief and then passes away. Because, I mean, I, I do think that Stoic passing away, yes, it's it's sudden. Yes, it sucks that he loses his father the same day he gains his mother. But I, I still think that it is essential in his journey. And maybe he doesn't have a choice technically well i mean i I think he does have a choice i'll I'll go ahead and say that i I think if hiccup what so desired he could say this isn't me give it to gobber give it to snotlout's father he he looks big and bold i don't know give it to uh (laughs) give it to astrid like astrid and i are going to marry eventually anyways probably 
So oh, why yeah. not let me keep doing my thing? Let Astrid, who has shown these warrior qualities, be, be chief instead. But instead, he says, no, I am my father's son. I'm more like him than I wanted to accept, but now I accept it. I see how important sacrifice is and how important it is to set aside that selfishness. And so him accepting the role of chief is setting aside his selfishness. I don't know, man. Hiccup was doing great things for the tribe a little bit less directly, admittedly, but he was still doing wonderful things in charting the world. He was doing that. And and here's the other X factor that I'll just bring up at this point. Toothless. Not only do they murder Stoic, but they make Toothless do it. And they've taken away Toothless's agency by introducing this concept of the Alpha. Nevertheless, like, I'm just going to say, like, the sequel, I expected it to delve more into the dragons, more about how they work. I'm so thrilled. I was not actually disappointed by any of that. I, I think the the concept of the Alpha and this sort of control factor of the bigger dragon was heavily hinted at, if not already introduced in the first film, uh, because all the dragons were supplying their food to the, the big one at the end of the first one. But to have Toothless be the one who kills Stoic, it was just way, way out of line. I feel it was it was absolutely just some next level crap. And here's here's the thing. Just because they have Kit Harrington in this film does not mean they actually need to do like a Game of Thrones where <laughs> nobody is safe. No, like people you love are going to die. Just get used to it. They didn't need to do this. Here's the thing. Like I had a Game of Thrones podcast for a while. Some people know this. Some people uh-huh. don't. So I've talked about it ad nauseum for 300 plus episodes, and I really feel like one of the things I started to say on that episode, or on that podcast, and this comes back true, with fictionalized works, the writers make the stakes, right? So the writers of this film chose to 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 make these choices but the the situation that that puts stoic having to jump in front of a beam from toothless to kill hiccup because of this alpha thing all of that's manufactured so you can honor stoic sacrifice and say this was a great thing but i'm the kind of guy who's like that doesn't need to have happened right and so when initially hiccup sends toothless off and that's how drago you know toothless becomes drago's dragon then uh that he that he rides back to burke with but minutes later when when they the confrontation of burke happens hiccup is able to forgive toothless and he tries again to kind of convert him now the whole reason stoic had to die is stoic jumped in front of the the you know the fireball or whatever you'd call it from Hiccup was because, or from Toothless was because Hiccup's first attempt to kind of lull him out of this trance state failed. Now, I think there's no difference between what happened before Stoic died and the eventual Hiccup is able to talk Toothless down while Drago's riding him. There's not enough of a difference there to me that shows why it worked the second time. Hiccup forgives Toothless for killing his dad, even though he first sent him away, so that's some conflicting emotion. I just think it's bad writing, or it's or it's or it's a plot hole, or it's inconsistent writing. I don't think enough happened between those two moments for it to suddenly work the second time. And so this whole thing about why Stoic died is just a mass, you know, bit of confusion for me. Here's my theory on that. I think that Hiccup would have succeeded that first time in stopping Toothless from attacking him. 
I think the issue was Stoic saw his opportunity to go protect his son. And in closing that distance, Hiccup was distracted by his father coming and interrupting his process. And Hiccup was unable to to win Toothless over because of that distraction. And so Stoic sacrifice was maybe needless in a certain extent, but it was because of his love for his son that that sacrifice was made. Now, I agree, it sucks that Toothless is the one that was the one to take Stoic's life. But I think that the, the, the writer, who is also the director, he was trying to make two points. And one of them is a line of dialogue from the movie. The line is from Valka. She says, good dragons at the hands of bad people do bad things. Yeah. So that, that's its own message. And that has endless applications to our real world. Good things in the hands of bad people do bad things. Whatever you want to apply that to, I think that could apply to a whole gamut of things. Sure. And from there, I had a second point and I don't know where I was going with it. But still, I don't begrudge your opinion at all. Obviously, <laughs> film is subjective. You're very kind. And I, I, I mean, I, I understand. Well, I'm, I'm not one to say that like you're wrong. I, I don't think that's true. I just think it didn't work for you and that's okay. But for me, it works because I agree with you that just because it happened doesn't mean it had to happen. That is something that the writer did choose to do. But for me, I believe that it was a natural progression of things. Does my, my theory on Toothless not being won over the first time at least kind of make sense a little bit? I would have to rewatch and I, I would choose to rewatch in like slow-mo the actual point where Stoic jumps in front because for me, my read of the scene was that Stoic jumped in only when it was absolutely certain that Hiccup was going to be blasted. I didn't, you know, maybe there was a second or two in there where Stoic does bungle it and, and it would be within character to see him kind of, you know, react, I think a little bit in advance to the sudden danger. So, you know, I think that's kind of at question here is, is whether or not Stoic actually made things worse and made Toothless do that. But I think, you know, if anything, at least when I was watching the film, I thought it's really Hiccup's decision to forgive Toothless because at first he sends him away. He says, just Mm -hmm. go. You know, it, it's the forgiveness aspect that could have pushed Toothless over the edge back to, you know, normality. That was going to be the second theory I gave. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's just a very flimsy sort of, I don't understand why you have to have this series where Toothless and Hiccup are simpatico. They're, they're, they're absolutely basically the same person now the opening sequence of this second film i believe it's the opening sequence anyway shows just how much they've grown together you know when we first see them and hiccup's got his own flight suit which is amazing by the way (laughs) but like they're more alike each other than ever and to drive this rift in between them in having toothless kill hiccup's father just felt a little contrived to me that's your conflict in this movie between these two best buds is that one of them kills the other's dad. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> well, I'll say one more thing, and then we can maybe move on to talking about the other parts of the film. But yeah, the other point that is being made between, and I think this is where I was going earlier, the other point that is being made between Hiccup versus Drago is Drago dominates dragons and Hiccup yeah. wins dragons over by compassion. And so yeah. having Toothless be the one who kills Stoic allows Hiccup to show that compassion in spite of his father's death. And 
that compassion is what wins Toothless over. And it serves as a message to Drago. He doesn't learn from it, but it serves as a message to him that this is what we are able to do when you have a true relationship with your dragon. When a dragon trusts you and you offer that trust back to them. That's my theory. That, that, that's, yeah, those are my I mean, thoughts, you, at you, least. You had a lot of good things to say about you know, identity and identity of the tribe as it pertains to the first film. And you know, I really like what you're saying there about the second one. So I like that. Okay, well, now that we've gotten the, the big, like, <laughs> rift that's out of the, the way. That's the big one. That's like, you know, because otherwise, I, you know, and Cinescope is usually like, these are the movies we love, let's talk about them. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate How to Train Your Dragon 2, and I, I think, you know, I'm genuinely excited, as excited as ever to watch the third one. Yeah, keep in mind, I wouldn't say this, this was conceived as a trilogy, but I think by the time they were making two, they knew they were only going to make one more. And so... Mm. This is very much the Empire Strikes Back of how things are going to go. You know, it's like you've got to have the, the dark middle sequel, oh, which is so okay. standard of trilogies. And that's not to spoil anything that happens in the, the third one. The third one makes me cry a lot, too. <laughs> so the third one, we go back to the uh, the Old West a little bit. Yeah, We go back to the Old West. Hill Valley, <laughs> we, 1885. We, we, we destroy the second Death Star. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> okay, so... Starting off at the beginning of the movie, you do see how further Hiccup and Toothless are intertwined with each other, how even more in sync they are. And you have that that opening sequence after the dragon race where <laughs> where we have that that new Yancey song. He's the same guy who sang the end credit song of the first one, and he sings more in the, the third one. I, I love the integration of the test drive music from the first film into that that sort of pop tune, and it makes it really seem to fit in while Toothless and Hiccup are flying around, testing each other's abilities, having fun with each other, flying through the air, as opposed to that test drive sequence from the first movie when when it started off rocky and it started getting more and more in sync as they started to trust each other. Here we see the the ultimate evolution of that, where they are so in sync with each other that Hiccup is now trying to fly on his own, and they haven't completely worked out all the kinks yet, but it's not because they're not in sync with each other. And I, I, I love that. And the, the, the song complements it really well. It's called uh, Where No One Goes, and that's just so fitting for a group of people that were basically like grounded on this island, aside from, I guess, ship travel. But aside from that, they, they didn't explore. They didn't go outward except to find and destroy dragons. And so now that Toothless and Hiccup have that ability together to go out and explore, the song really works well there. We've previously talked about how the first How to Train Your Dragon was almost entirely orchestral, that it was not pop at all. Mm-hmm. There was there was no point in where the music became like Smash Mouth All-Star Shrek, you know, moment. <laughs> so opening the movie with a lyricized, you know, with a song that has lyrics actually made me think, oh, brother, they've gone full Shrek now a little bit. Right. Like, I, it's still a good song. And I think the music overall still fits. But it was a little bit jarring how there were all of a sudden lyrics to some of this music. It was, but I'll, I'll admit that I understand very little of what Yonsei sings in any of his songs um, in these movies. And so for me, it's just sort of like atmospheric and it, it's music yeah, from the first film yeah. intertwined. And so it works for me. I mean, I, I want to be clear, like, I think it's important that sequels are different, right? So they, mm-hmm. they be allowed to change in certain areas, but it's it's not like... Well, I, we just referenced this a few minutes ago, but like, it's not like Back to the Future in the second one deferred or, or you know took a big right turn from having the orchestral 
bits. You know, there's still mm-hmm. the brass. The brass is still there in Back to the Future too, so it's not a big, huge departure. But I, but I think I, I just heard a lot less of that orchestral stuff in How to Train Your Dragon too, so it was missed a little bit. When you say, do you mean like the actual orchestral music? Yeah, I just feel like there was less of it. There's less like the whole peeling back the curtain and God is there and there's the choral voices that were <laughs> so sparsely used, but like still, you know, well peppered in there uh-huh. in the first one. And this one just had more pop, I think. This one was more of a, you know, this was this was a series. This was, an, this was a movie that was a little bit more confident in itself, I think I uh-huh. want to say. And part of that is due to like the improvement in graphics and the various like fun action sequences. Like I think there are parts there are things that this film does really well and like dragon riding for instance is one of them every character who dragon rides in this film is super confident about it they're shown to be like really competent with their dragons they have a good relationship like you know so this film that just the the cinematography is faster just every action sequence is faster and smoother than it was in the first film and i think but i think like the upgrade in music or the change from music that's more you know sort of subliminal into this like pop or you know music with words kind of shows how it had to be a little bit you know kicked up in in a little bit more peppy well, to be clear, there's only the one song that has like words and it's in the like first two minutes of the movie. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, you should definitely, I, I know you're not keen to necessarily watch this movie again soon, <laughs> but when you get the chance, definitely check out the music. Cause I would say it would take a lot more nudging. I would say as much as I love the music for the first film, I think the music for this one is just as good. Huh? I really do. Like John Powell is the king of animation scores and he reuses all of his same themes from the first one and adds to them. He's got a theme for his mother. He's got a theme for Eret, son of Eret. He's got the the theme for the the relationship between Stoic and Valka. And obviously there's the theme for Drago as well. And I think all of those stand out, but maybe it was just there were other things that distracted you from that. I think no, I think that's I think that's very possible. I really want to talk about Valka, actually. I've re- so yeah, I really, really want to I mean, what an amazing development to have. Uh-huh. Hiccup's mother still be alive. Absolutely. And to when they finally meet together and Valka realizes that this is Hiccup and she tells a story about the the night that she left and why she left. And it wasn't yeah. necessarily that something that she chose, but the, the choice she made was not to come back. She echoes literal phrases from what Hiccup said when talking to Astrid in the first movie about how he looked down at Toothless and he saw a creature in which his soul was echoed back to him. He looked down and yeah. he saw himself. He was just as scared of it as he was of him. And so she says those exact same things about her dragon, Cloud Jumper. And there's something else that she says. Um, she says she couldn't kill a dragon. She almost lost Stoic and Hiccup because she couldn't kill a dragon. And so I, I love that the resemblance between the two of them, as far as personality and how they interact with the dragons is echoed so so strongly here yeah that's that's truly uncanny and and just the idea that valka and hiccup should meet and have it be you know they're both dragon riders this whole concept of dragon riders i feel like through the introduction of erit we kind of see a little bit into other tribes and a lot like other people are like dragon riders what this concept that that somebody knew and i i had questions about this going into this one it's like is anybody else going to 
figure out that dragons are not our enemies. So the character Valka, you know, who I don't know that it's entirely explained why she wears the mask, like the whole costume. She, but, but I like the way that it's gradually broken in that she understands that Hiccup's way with the dragons is either superior to her own or complements her own. Like she's able to provoke the dragons in her care into how they behave with him when he first arrives. But she also is able to learn from him and see that he too has really mastered this understanding of the beasts. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about characters like Eret? Well, I, you know, I, I quite enjoyed Eret at the end, again, in terms of like world building, a character who is the middleman is always mm-hmm. going to be a good character. You know, you have the villain in Drago, who is definitely very interesting. And I look forward to talking about him. But Eret, you know, this middleman, this guy who is in it for himself but he's not a jerk about it. Like he's just trying to, you know, he, he, I, I think it's, I think it's never been a bad thing for movie series in the second installment to explain, okay, but like, what exactly is it like to live in this world? You've got your main character and your heroes and you know how they live in this world, but what's it like to be a regular guy? And Eric is that character. Eric's like this guy who he's got his own group of people that are going and rounding up what dragons for, for Drago. And he's going to sell, them for profit and that's just like you know, like what he does but yet he has the capacity for growth that the story you know really compels and by the end of the film you're rooting for him and you're very very excited to see him take over stoics dragon mm-hmm. at the end like i i think that's a wonderful arc for a character that started out as a nobody but through his actions is not only redeemed but like promoted to you know kind of a close part in in our hearts nothing with with Eret I think is bad about in, in this in this film Eret is sort of that other representative of showing compassion versus showing fear or inspiring fear uh, he, he's obviously scared of Drago, as you should be, because Drago is terrifying. <laughs> but he he sees the compassion and the relationship that Hiccup and friends have with their dragons. And then when Stormfly, Astrid's dragon, steps in and saves his life when Drago's men are about to kill him, he he understands. He he, he instantly changes. And mm-hmm. the first chance he gets, he thanks the dragon for saving him and rescues yes! him. Yes! And I love it's, that. it's amazing. I think that Eret is almost supposed to represent also a little bit of hope for us as viewers in that people can change. And so we Mm. hope that Hiccup, who is talking a big game and Astrid supporting him and all the others are boasting Hiccup's abilities to persuade people and to change people, we're supposed to see Eret change and think maybe Hiccup can change Drago. And that makes Drago stand out as even more terrifying in in contrast when he isn't going to change the way everybody hopes he is. I think that's exactly right. I think that's probably exactly why he is, you know, Eret is where he is in the plot as well, is because uh, you get two big characters, both in Hiccup's mom and Hiccup's dad, both saying, Drago, he's not going to change. <laughs> right. And you have, you have Stoic, who's, who's trying to get everybody in Burke and Hiccup to prepare for war, to, to stay at Burke, to defend Burke, knowing that Drago's going to want war to come. And you have yeah. Hiccup who's saying, we should go out, we should, we should preemptively talk to Drago and make peace and try and find peace before this ever escalates. And you have that idea of 
hiccup trying to learn from his parents or, or ignoring the advice of his parents and that sort of being his downfall in the end is that he doesn't, yeah. although it does also bring him his mother. So there, there's not, I wouldn't say mixed message, but there's like two sides of a scale there that you're trying to balance. I, I just think it was cruel and, and not having a, a third film to base this off of because there is a third film and I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, to, to give hiccup his mom and then take away his dad in the same film. That just, that just, that seems a little wrong. <laughs> oh, I will be curious to know what your thoughts are on the third film, and uh, we'll 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 have a traditional Cinescope episode when we get to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not not to get too far ahead uh, about yeah. it, but but yeah, because I mean, there's there's so much to love about his mom, and also about sort of the even stoic wooing his mom, the the immediate forgiveness. Oh, um, I love because, that so much. I mean, that is just the the absolute best when Volca's very, you know apologetic and she asks forgiveness but she's also not sugarcoating it like she admits that she could have or perhaps should have returned should have tried to communicate didn't the fact that she's just immediately forgiven because after all this time stoic who's also the chief of a viking city like he has not taken another (laughs) wife or another you know person for his ever since like that there was such real love there honestly valka makes stoic about a person and the existence the presence of valka in this story shines you know sheds even more light into stoic the fact that he immediately just falls back in love with this person who completes him as a character in person but again here's like this the drama story writing going okay once a character is complete and has everything they want in life it's okay for them to die (laughs) so i you know that's like the old lost way of doing things also brutal about killing people it's like well once they're fulfilled once their purpose is done just knock it off just kill them but ultimately i think that yeah volka being forgiven immediately by stoic and you just I I feel like Hiccup Hiccup obviously would have loved it, but he deserves seeing both of his parents, since they are both alive, happy together. And I I don't know, Valka, after so many years of isolation, I mean human isolation, she's been with the dragons, but still, she really asking her to come back and be sort of a mother to the chief is words are failing at the moment but i think that it's a little less than what she could have done like i i don't know she would have had a lot to have added besides being mother of the chief and maybe they'll give her more to do in the third film but you know she doesn't really have an opportunity now to i guess i'm gonna be careful what i say because i'm disagreeing with it already but i I, I just worry that she'll be kind of sidelined to the character of like, oh, the chief's mom, just like Stoic. It was like the chief's dad before this, as opposed to if if everyone was alive and happy and healthy, they could pursue their own things. Like, I agree with you that Hiccup is noble for giving up some of his selfishness is what you called it. But I think it's like that individualism of like going and mapping these uncharted territories for the tribe. And it's all very exciting and giving that up. But I would almost, you know, as as a, a viewer watching an adventure series where people ride dragons, I want a movie just about that. I want Hiccup to go to undiscovered territory and find new things. Like, watching him stay at home being chief would be, like, really boring. Well, here's the thing, though. Just because he's chief now doesn't mean he has to completely give up his sense of individualism. He mm. was going out on solo expeditions before. What 
what's to stop him now of uh, being chief and saying, okay, let's, let's get a party together and let's go add something to the map. What's special about Hiccup is, yes, he sacrifices some of his individualism, some of his freedom to, to accept the parts of him that are like his father. But Valka says it before the final fight. She says, you have the heart of a chief, but the soul of a dragon, and only you can, can rescue both of our worlds, basically. You, only you can bring our worlds together, is what she says. And right. so that, that's sort of what we have in store for us, I think, in the future, is Hiccup taking the stoic brand of selflessness over protecting the people of Burke, but putting in that Hiccup flair, just like, just like they, they joked at the end of the first movie when he lost his foot. And Gobber says, uh, that's my handiwork. And with a little hiccup flair thrown into it, and Hiccup <laughs> says, oh, I'll make some adjustments. And we see he did make some adjustments. So I, I think that yeah. what we have in store is Hiccup accepting the role of chief when he wasn't willing to do that before, but still putting his own spin on it because he is his own person. And that, that's sort of what this movie was about, is accepting that he is his own person who doesn't have to be solely like his father or solely like his mother. He's a combination of both, plus he's himself. Okay, I buy it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to argue with you, Eric. I'm just presenting <laughs> my my own theories. You know, because mm-hmm. I I, I, will, yeah. I want you to love this movie like I do. Maybe it'll win you over in well, time. Who yeah, knows? Maybe yeah. no, no, no. And, and I and I think that that will like once I've seen them all three, I'll I'll be able to have a little bit more perspective as far as mm-hmm. you know what the possibilities are. Because when you're writing a film like this, you also are writing for I think the future. Like you're able to. You know, I, I think while coming up with story ideas for this, there were inevitably going to be parts that didn't make it into this film that were always going to be there in the third. That's my guess. I don't actually know. Mm-hmm. I haven't read interviews, but it, so it just makes sense that there would be an overarching narrative now. There's something they're trying to say, which may have influenced their decision to kill the dad. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I do want to talk about Drago, but I want to say one more thing about Valka and Stoic together. So this movie obviously makes me experience the whole range of emotions from <laughs> utter heartbreak when Stoic is gone to like ultimate joy when Stoic and Valka are dancing together. And even mm. within that scene, it starts with heartbreak. First off, when Stoic turns that corner and he's trying to get Hiccup out of there, he turns the corner and he sees Valka from a distance and he immediately knows who she is. It's not like they come face to face all of a sudden. He right. stares across and it's such a familiar vision to him whether it's something he just remembers from 20 years ago or whether it's something he sees in his dreams every night he sees valka from a distance and knows it's her and just starts the slow approach and the only thing he says as she's trying to protest and say please say something say something be angry be something and he just says you're as beautiful as the day i lost you and it is such a wonderful moment but then there's there's further heartbreak when stoic starts to sing and it's their song. He says, remember our song, Valka? And he starts singing, and it's the side of Stoic we haven't seen before. We've never seen him be this tender. And Valka doesn't react at first. She just sort of sits there, just not reacting. Yeah. And you see Stoic's face fall, and then she starts singing. And it, it just is so uplifting in that moment, and it's wonderful. And the dance scene is funny, and Gobber is funny, and <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. Gobber is great in this film. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, and w- I guess one last thing before we talk about Drago, when they are doing the funeral for Stoic and Gobber is the one delivering the eulogy, the traditional words about a Viking send-off, I suppose, and he ends with a father, a friend, and it's so sad, but 
I, I love it anyways. Yeah. So let's talk about Drago. Angry dude. He's terrifying, right? Yeah. Angry dude who not a lot of people took seriously at one point. And this is a guy who really needs to be taken seriously. Uh-huh. It would have been so such an easy thing for that like screech he does to be really silly. Oh. But there's something in that voice performance that just like it's chilling watching him do that shriek and swing his staff. I really agree with you. Yeah. This is uh-huh. not like the this isn't the Voldemort <laughs> kind of a yeah. thing. Just the <laughs> kind of right. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh-huh. I agree. And watching the dragons literally cower before him, including the giant bewilderbeast, the alpha, it, it cowers before him. And it's just outstanding. And I don't mean outstanding as a good word. Outstanding to see a character have so much, exercise so much fear over something else and to, to, to see the power that he's able to wield over them. But then that makes it all the more important when, when Hiccup is able to win Toothless back over and Toothless is able to, to demonstrate how much he cares for Hiccup by, by challenging and eventually overwhelming the alpha to where he becomes the new alpha. <laughs> I just, I just love that. It's like, Oh, Toothless, you're the alpha now. Toothless is like, <laughs> I don't know why Toothless is like blue from Blue's Clues for me, but that's just how it, how it is. <laughs> but I feel like the fact that that happened right from under Drago, like literally under that he's on Toothless when this is happening, was very mm-hmm. satisfying, especially after all the hell that Drago wrought up to that point in the film. But But no, I mean, as a villain... I don't know that there's a lot more terrifying or a lot more that can be terrifying than here's a guy who really has all the power and not only all the power, just the fierceness. He's clearly lost something in in -hmm. the past that has made him this way. The film doesn't, so far as I remember, the film doesn't necessarily call out what Drago has lost, but he has this need to be taken seriously and he has this way about him just this fierceness this viciousness that's really gonna get stuff done and we don't find out i i love the reveal essentially that they're keeping the alpha underwater for a period of time we don't know Mm -hmm. what it is about drago but he's got this trump card in the alpha and when it's unleashed you really are able to see for the first time in the film the full scope of this guy's whole thing but the fact that he's able to sort of in his coming out scene with the alpha there change all the dragons that Volca has spent, what, 20 years meticulously like getting to cultivating a relationship with taking care of this. The, the nice alpha is just destroyed in a few seconds flat by this guy. And Drago controls this new alpha. Drago controls this thing. Through sheer uh-huh. force of will, through through viciousness, I don't know that there's been a better villain introduction in modern cinema in <laughs> like the last thirty years. Like this guy has <laughs> all the cards. This he's really. I may criticize some parts of this plot, but Drago's whole deal is 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 pretty fierce. He's it's Game of Thrones style. This guy has all the violence in the entire universe coped up into uh-huh. one body, and he's he's here to show you how good you had it before you knew him. Since you mentioned it, we didn't get a full story of what happened to Drago and what made him who he is, but he did say he watched his village burn when he mm. was a kid, 
and he he lost his arm. That's why he has that one prosthetic limb. Oh, right. Um, and he he made it his goal to to conquer his fear of dragons. So he was scared of dragons, and so he made dragons start to fear him. And then mm-hmm. he started creating a dragon army so that he could conquer other dragons, and then he used that to conquer people. And that was that was the whole thing that Hiccup was trying to to get at when when Drago was like witness the power of the Alpha and all that <laughs> stuff happened. <laughs> But yeah, he, he's a terrifying villain, but it is really satisfying seeing him uh, get his his loss at the end when Hiccup is able to show how compassion wins in the end. And yeah. he he sits there with the army of dragons behind him and all the people of Burke standing behind him and all of that. And I, I guess maybe even the people that were under Drago's control. I mean, there was a whole army there at yeah. some point, and it wasn't just dragons. So presumably they're on Hiccup's side, too, because they see exactly the kind of relationship that these people have with their dragons and drago is just defenseless standing before these people who have such strong bonds with their companions and i i wrote down early in the film that drago is sort of the antithesis of the people of burke where they they all have dragons for their own purposes but where whereas the people of burke use dragons to to live amongst them to to supplement each other's lives like both dragons and the the people of Burt get something out of that relationship but drago owns dragons purely for his own benefit and not for any sort of reciprocation on the other end and so they stand in stark contrast in that way yeah yeah i absolutely agree and you know we, we kind of knew that love would have to triumph in the mm-hmm. end overall that's that's the kind of, these are the stories that we tell ourselves so that is as it was but I like the idea that, you know, at the very end, Drago is surprised to see his loss. Like, here's something about dragons that he didn't know. Nobody's ever seen them thwart this whole call of the alpha thing before. So they're in a space where they're learning together. And the the movie does close with, well, at least the fight closes with Hiccup blindfolding Toothless to protect him from being influenced by the alpha again. And he says, you and me as one. And they're yeah. finally able to pull off the gliding maneuver. And that's really satisfying too, because this is the third time we've seen it at this point. <laughs> um, and it was the first time it was successful, which is great. And it, it mirrors the thing that happened at the end of the first movie too, where they're flying through the dragon tail and trying to escape. But at the end of the first movie, the tail is flammable and it burns right. up and they both plummet to the earth. And that's how Hiccup loses his foot. But uh, it's mirrored here, but they're successful in escaping the tail that time. Um, so once again, you see how completely in sync Toothless and Hiccup are with each other. Yeah, that's great. And then in the midst of celebrating at the end, they're victorious over Drago. They have their dragons back. Burke is more or less safe. I love that Stoic isn't forgotten in everything. It would have been really easy to just be like, yay, we want everybody. Oh, by the <laughs> way, our chief died earlier today, but we're, we won. Yay. But I, I think that it's pointed out very quickly that they have an empty chief seat and everybody is more than happy to appoint hiccup to that position where just a few years ago, imagine if it had been suggested if stoic had died (laughs) prematurely sometime in the first film. Okay. His son is hiccup. Hiccup gets to be the new chief. No, that wouldn't have happened. And so I, I just love seeing how, how much hiccup is applauded and celebrated in the stead of his father. Now, even though they are so very different in a lot of ways, they're very alike in other ways. And everybody is excited for the future with Hiccup as their new chief. 
I will say it's very refreshing. I think you're totally right. It's refreshing how much the citizens of Burke have come around on Hiccup. I mean, and this was evident in the first film, but how he changed their world. He changed their worldview, and he also changed their day-to-day. You know, their relationship with dragons turned seemingly on a dime after he showed them what the true nature was. And now they've mm-hmm. got just this, the possibilities open to them, this huge, you know, I'm st- probably the economy is, is all based on now this whole new worldview where dragons can coexist with humans. And, and he's, he's their hero. And I think in their minds, some form of chief, like I wouldn't like he, even before he was the chief in, in name or title, he due to what he did for their society and the respect that he gained or that they gave, that they bestowed upon him in doing it. He already had, I think he already captured their imagination. I think that, you know, he's somebody that in the first film throughout the events really earned their, respect and and so there's no question when it comes up in movie two that he's fit to really be a part of them to be to be their leader in fact both times he flies in on toothless in this movie at the beginning when he comes back from word of drago after interacting with eric for the first time he lands outside the shop and everybody cheers everybody's happy to see hiccup and then the same thing happens at the end of the movie when he arrives on the baby dragons, which stroke of genius that he uses the baby dragons. That I, very, yeah, very very stoic of Hiccup to, in the face of ultimate heartbreak, losing his father, have a plan and immediately set into action to to protect the people of Burke. That's very much like his father to immediately jump to that after losing his father and literally setting him out i i love that the whole thing is like since when did babies listen to anybody and that's how they're able to take the babies to- <laughs> it's like okay okay i guess that works that's fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i guess we should talk about all of the friends right you know fish legs not loud tough nut rough nut mm-hmm. you know all of the yeah they, they have their own fun things to do in this one they grew facial hair that's something to see <laughs> Some of them, yes. <laughs> I mean, not Roughnut, but but Roughnut's yeah, whole yeah. Uh, arc where she is pining for Eret. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, My favorite line from that is when she said, "You son of an Eret." <laughs> <laughs> Just that particular phraseology, so funny. Yeah, huge fan, huge fan of it. I I think this film was able to have a lot of fun with the kids. The kids, again, are not as central to the story as, you know, Hiccup and Toothless's relationship, and he is a character dissecting who his identity is, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but there's still a lot of fun to be had with these kids, and like I said, they invented Quidditch, or you know, dragon, <laughs> dragon racing, uh, as it's called. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to love, and, and I think there's... I, I don't think any screen time on them is wasted. I agree. I, I like all the side characters. I think they're a lot of fun. And then to have that fun twist where uh, you have both Fishlegs and Snotlout who are pining after Roughnut at the beginning of the movie for some reason. I guess it's just because Astrid's taken at this point and she's the only girl left. Yeah. And then by yeah. the end of the film, it comes around. She's been t- spending the whole film ignoring them and pining after Eret. And so at the end of the movie, they, there was one point where the two of them rescued her. And she finally is like, oh, I get it. I, li- I love these guys. And then after everything is said and done, they run towards her, but they're not running towards her. 
as she stretches her arms out, they run past her and go to their dragons because they're the ones who they're really excited to see as their dragons. <laughs> That's a good call out. I, I think I missed that during yeah. the initial uh, viewing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess last thing before we maybe get a, get to your predictions, if you have any for the third film, is the, the final monologue, which, again, the open and close of this film echo the open and close of the first film where they're setting up the setting of Burke. This is Burke. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and he, he's so aggressive at the end. He says, all the people who, who defeated them are even more so. And uh, he, he ends with, we are the voice of peace and bit by bit, we will change the world. And I, I just love that mindset. They, they, they're still after peace. They're, they're recognizing of the fact that there is conflict out there, but they're, they're going to seek the peaceful solution. And ultimately, it's going to be about p- protecting the people of Burke. And that, that's going to be Hiccup's mindset going forward. And I just love that final, final quote. Bit by bit, we will change this world. Yeah, that's, that's really good. You know, it's hard to see... I, I, I'm so stunned looking towards the third film because I don't know what the next logical story progression is. I mean, we could see Hiccup as a, as a chief, but we already know he'd do a pretty good job because he's got a lot of empathy. And he also has very good people in Gobber and his mother to guide him, not to mention his friends and his future wife. So, you know, the whole exploration angle should be interesting because this series has never you know shied away from world building and shied away from explaining the way dragons work i think we'll probably see a lot more of that but if i had to you know really predict i i'm i'm stunned because they really went balls to the wall with this villain in in drago and and you know even killed hiccup's dad like you can't mm-hmm. i don't know how you can top that easily right he, here's a guy who was like mighty in all force so i really am curious about what the conflict in in three will be and if we we take you know standard story tropes you know you got man versus man man versus himself man versus nature i feel like you know the first one could have been hiccup versus himself a lot and to some extent the second one the second one would be also man versus man hiccup and drago having just diametric opposite viewpoints so unless hiccup is fighting nature in the next film i really don't know where they could go with it and you'd also be hard pressed to come up with a more badass villain than drago it's true i am anxious one to watch the movie again because it's been a while since i last watched it but also to get your your thoughts and I mean, I hopefully, hopefully it goes over a little bit better than certain story points in this one did. But I will say that I, I really like the ending of part three as a trilogy. I think it really caps it off well. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that you will think the same when you watch it. Yeah, and when we talk next. Honestly, really, thank you for having me on to rehash this film. I did really enjoy watching it. I did turn it off and give myself a day between the first part of the movie and the last 25 minutes. But still, it's overall, it's extremely well made. And again, oh, and also like just the improvement in graphics. I know I mentioned earlier, but Mm -hmm. there's so much to love about the four year gap between these films and, and what it did for the CGI. Yeah, once again, Roger Deakins, cinematographer extraordinaire, served as visual consultant for this movie, and it pays off in spades. It is a gorgeous film. All the animation is amazing. All the cinematography is amazing. I love it. (laughs) So, (laughs) anything else to say, or are we ready to wrap up? Rest in peace, Stoic. We hardly knew ye. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, you know, just it's probably my favorite Gerard Butler role, and I really like his stuff. So, yeah, okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Gone too soon. I'll just say that. Gone too- <laughs> they, they could have. They could have found more interesting things to do with the dad. They really could. Like even if Hiccup takes over as chief, what does retirement look like for Stoic? That's what I want answered. You know, like mm-hmm. it just would have been cool to see. So yeah, I mean, it did say a lot that Stoic in the first film was anxious about sending Hiccup to Dragon Training. And now in this film, he was ready to start training Hiccup as chief and maybe have that life of retirement. So, yeah, he was robbed of that. But yeah, it's nice to see the huge bit of confidence that he's got for his son now. You and I love seeing resolved familial relations. (laughs) Yes, we do. Fatherly, paternal (laughs) relations. It's totally resolved. Like, I'm glad it was solved before they died. It could have been unresolved, (laughs) but it wasn't. That's true. Okay, well, Eric, how about you go ahead and plug the things that you want to plug and we'll wrap this up. Yep. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Spielerman, S-P-I-E-L-E-R-M-A-N. And similarly, I have a new podcast called Thank You for Spieling that Chad was nice enough to help me launch and would love to have you back on the show sometime soon too. Uh, yes, totally sir. thinking of, totally thinking of um, bringing back guests from the first 10 episodes into the next 10 or 20 or however many we do would be super exciting, but that's a sort of your catch all topic podcast. Every episode is different though. We've done a few on COVID and I really just having fun chatting with people I've known for years, mostly. So go check that out wherever podcasts are found. And, uh, that is about it. If you're into Harry Potter, I have a weekly Harry Potter podcast called MuggleCast. And you can find me in all the usual places. You can find me on Twitter at Chadadada, that is C-H-A-D-A-D-A. And then my other podcasts are An American Workplace, where we talked about every episode of The Office. And then my new podcast is Crossroads of Destiny, where we are talking about every episode of Avatar The Last Airbender and all of its sequel properties and whatnot. And so I would love if you check those out, especially the new one, and go over to Apple Podcasts, drop ratings and reviews for this show, for that show. For all the shows, for Eric's shows too, (laughs) it's such a big help to podcasters if you want to support them, if you enjoy what you're hearing. That is the best way to do that. So thank you all for listening. We are going to go ahead and close off this episode, and we will be back for the next one where we talk about how to train your dragon three. Bye, everybody. Have fun and celebrate movies. (laughs) 